Welcome to episode 193 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio in Los Angeles, a.k.a. my kitchen table. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to the generous support of everyone who's giving money at Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. More on that in a moment. This week on the show, our friends from Scout Expedition Company are back. That would be Jeff Leinenweber and Jarrett Lance. And they're here to talk about their remount of The Nest, which was one of our favorite shows in 2017. They've got a Kickstarter going on. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna look up the Kickstarter right now. I've got it in a tab over here. Let's let's use the the power of the thingy. Uh, they're looking to get twenty five thousand uh, dollars as the goal. That's not the whole budget. That's just part of the budget of the show. And they just started this a couple of days ago. They're already at fifteen thousand dollars with one hundred and thirty backers and 26 days to go. So odds are they're gonna make it, but we need to get the word out far and wide. This is gonna be an expanded, extended run of The Nest in an all new location in Los Angeles. So if anything, if you saw The Nest before, uh, it's think of that as the beta, if you will, and this is going to be the production model. Um, or if you didn't see The Nest but heard about it, uh, you'll, uh, you've got this opportunity to check out like the, 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 the big version of it. All right. So, uh, more on that when we get into the interview, let's check in with just a few announcements. There's, there's actually a bunch of stuff going on. First off, Patreon backers, I do want to draw your attention to the feed. Uh, we've got a timed exclusive on there right now. What we did is we took the audio from Kara Mandel's interview of Jessica Brillhart, um, who was uh, once upon a time, the the VR filmmaker at Google, and now she's working on this entirely new spatial audio project. Um, we took the audio from that, and we've turned it into a kind of a bonus episode of the podcast. It's a timed exclusive. It, uh, that exclusive will pop up next week, uh, or, or I guess run out would be the way to say what I'm trying to say. So um, if you want to hear that, uh, you can do that. Right now, you can also just you know, go check it out on, on the YouTube. But if you prefer things in podcast form, it is there for you right now. Um, there's that. Indicade. Uh, I want to draw your attention over to Indicade. This year, they have a location-based Spotlight Award. Uh, that's an all-new award. Uh, XR, themed entertainment, theme spaces, immersive theater. That is what is eligible for the award. The deadline is April 25th. So uh, check the show notes for links. I encourage you. We've had immersive theater pieces win the main design award at Indicade in the past. And this is a wonderful expansion of what Indicade is doing. Uh, to put a spotlight on this community. So thank you so much to everyone at Indicade. And again, uh, the deadline for the awards is April 25th. So you've got about 13 days as I'm recording this. Odyssey Works uh, has a masterclass going on later this summer in New York. Their applications are due May 1st. You can find information for that, again, in the show notes. Uh, definitely uh, should 
examine that. If you're looking to really deepen your work, uh, Odyssey Works has been working in this space for a long time. Uh, and if memory serves, part of that masterclass, and it, it's it's not like just like a weekend. It's like it's an intensive. Like there's there's many days. Uh, I think some of it might involve producing, working on their next piece. Um, Odyssey Works does these elaborate pieces for one person, not at a time, for one person. It's and it's not like there's this guy, <laughs> like no, they they select a person every time, uh, and they produce it for them. That's sort of this this amazing gift that they make. Some more news. Um, if you can hear my voice being chipper, it's not just because I ate a bunch of sugar last night, which I did because I was I got a chance to run around Universal Studios uh, uh, Hogsmeade uh, for the first time ever. Uh, I haven't I'd never been to Universal like at all. I know weird strange thing. I was born in Southern California and yet never happened. Uh, but our friend Juliet Bennett Ryla got uh, a press invite to uh, the premiere of Dark Arts, which is this projection mapping show that they're doing on Hogwarts. Uh, which is just rad. You can see the videos. If you follow me on Instagram, like you follow at Are You That Guy on Instagram, you can see like a, a short, partial video of part of it because we happened to like be running a second time when we like walked out of um, of Hogwarts itself. The line for which is incredible. We were like running around the line. Like the ride, I'm cool with the ride. I don't like spiders that much, so I was like, oh, I'm just gonna not watch this part. Uh, but I'm cool with the ride. But the line, oh my goodness, just, just, I'd pay money to go to the, people pay money to go to selfie palaces, which, you know, we try not to say selfie palace anymore, but like, I, I yeah, like, I wish there was like a, a line in the line for Hogwarts that was just hanging out in the line. Just, just walk through and take photos. That's what we did last night. It was awesome. Um, anyway, that's, I guess that's one of the reasons why my voice is chipper, right? The other reason why my voice is chipper is that, uh, Star Wars Day, uh, Episode Nine trailer, uh, and I'm pretty happy. But you don't care about that. What you do care about is there's news on Vader Immortal, which is that project that David S. Goyer has been working on forever over with Oculus and the ILM X Lab. And um, we all know knew that it was going to be coming out on the Oculus Quest. Uh, it's also going to be on the Rift and the Rift S. Not, not, not a terrible surprise there. Um, it, it only makes sense that it would release for all Oculus uh, platforms that have six degrees of freedom. Um, but some big news on the panel today is that Maya Rudolph, uh, yes, of SNL and, and so many comedies, um, she's starring as uh, the droid, sort of your sarcastic, funny droid, you know, sidekick character, uh, Zoe 3, a uh, quick-witted droid co-pilot. Uh, that you get to partner with throughout the story, as the press release is telling me. Um, and that's just, it's its fun to watch uh, this next wave of VR experiences. And like sort of like the way like the trailer goes, like there's talk like you got to escape. But I'm like, oh, okay, so there's going to be some, like an escape room type elements. That's very smart, very clever. Um so I'm I'm getting really interested in what they're doing. I mean, hi, it's me. I'm a giant Star Wars nerd, and it's like you're going to Vader's castle. I'm like, oh, yes, please. But um, they care enough to send the very best. So there you go. Uh, Vader Immortal will be out. I think when uh, I don't know. I don't know when it'll be out. Somewhere in the somewhere in that press release, uh, it'll say. Um, let me let me let me. Let me grab it real fast. All right, let's let's do this in. Oh, here it is. Thank 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 the force. I put it right there. Um, 
Announced last year. Do, 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 do. Released this spring. Okay, so released this spring. That means, uh, wow, uh, soon, <laughs> really soon. And it's part of a series. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, gosh, when is the, I don't even know when the quest is coming out. I should know that. I got to get on that. Got to go talk to some people. Okay. Here's another thing. A lot of announcements right now. I just said a few quick short ones and it turned into a long thing. Um, these, these matter. Tickets are still available for my talk on the art of presence at the LA Times Festival of Books, which is tomorrow. Also, our guests on the show, Scott Expedition Company, they're going to be talking at the festival tomorrow. They've also got another surprise. We're going to talk about that right at the start of the interview. Um, my talk is at noon tomorrow, that'd be April 13th, on the USC campus at the Norris Theater in Signing Area 5. I'm also going to be on the news story stage uh, as part of Unsent, which is a storytelling show, uh, between 5 and 6 o'clock tomorrow. And um, if you're also just kind of going around, um, I'm going to be on uh, Dr. Dr. Alex Avila's Love University podcast uh, over at booth 968 at 3.30 tomorrow. So it's going to be a very busy, busy day. Um, and I still got to prepare for tomorrow. <laughs> I've got the PowerPoint deck, but I, I need to go over it again. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to start stressing out in about two hours here. Okay. Those are all the announcements. Nope, I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> there is still space at Leia's Immersive Intensive. Uh, there's we're, we're getting close to about halfway to capacity. This is a really, it's just, it's going to be a fantastic one day set of workshops. You get three workshops for a hundred dollars. Uh, the selections, uh, you know, we're going to, it's going to kind of be the way we did at IDS where we, we have people uh, pick their first choices and then we kind of rank everything and try to give people like the best, uh, course pathway that they that we can um logistics they're they're tricky uh but there's going to be business design and performance workshops and we've assembled just a murderer's row of talent uh we've got josh randall coming in we've got nagin singh we've got uh uh, guys from the speakeasy society who are writing Haley nichelle Derek spencer uh naya mack i'm doing something tommy haunton uh, just, just a whole bunch of folks. I'm missing people right now because I'm just running off the list off the top of my head. And if you weren't able to go to IDS and you are in Los Angeles and you felt like, oh, oh man, I missed out. Like, it's not fair. Um, here's your chance. And it's a lot cheaper. And it's six hours of workshops, uh, which at IDS people got an hour. And I know people want a lot more workshop. So this is us being like, hey, look at that. Here you go. Uh, so check it out. Uh, Leia.design. Check the classes tab. Um, the team over there is very excited to bring this to you. $100 before the 22nd. So you got 10 days left to get at the discount rate, and then the price goes up. Goes up. All right. April 27th is the date for that. The Patreon. We're going to check the heartbeat on the Patreon right now. Ah, you know, uh, we've, uh, we've gone down like $3, uh, and stayed stable with the number of people. So we got 224 people, uh, at $1,281 a month, you know, $1,281. That's a lot of money. Uh, not, not enough for us to do what we really need to do though. So if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, please, uh, if you rely upon this on the regular, uh, a dollar, dollar a month, 
would be fantastic. Uh, at this rate, I got a feeling that, um, you know, our, our, a lot of our most diehard folks are, are pitching in, but there, I think there's some folks out there, um, particularly who, who, who rely upon it, who, who use our services all the time, who I know, um, you know, they, they aren't chipping in. And uh, just, just know that our ability to do what we do is almost completely dependent on this point, at this point in time. Um, and really, for sanity's sake, over the long run, on folks chipping in. So just give it a thought. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, we have one new backer this time. Uh, goes by the initials NR. That's all we know. Uh, the sustaining backers of no proscenium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurstan, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all for keeping your hands in and the boat paddling forward. All right, and now, without further ado, we're going to jump into our interview with the guys at Scout Expedition Company. This is going to be, I'm so excited the dust is coming back. Here we go. Hey, Jeff. Hey. Hey, Jared. Hi. And now you guys kind of, from those highs, you should be able to know which voice is which. I am bad about getting people to identify their voices. I should get better at that. Do we sound the same? No. <laughs> but like people won't know who's who, right? This is Jarrett. Yeah, we'll always just say yeah. our name. <laughs> yeah, in front of every <laughs> single thing we say. Uh, Jarrett, I'm ringing in. Okay, here I'm going <laughs> to speak now. Got to give everyone bells. <laughs> we exactly. Do, we'll do an episode that way. We'll do an episode at 2-Bit that way. We got to go back to 2-Bit. Um, yes. uh, live, live is fun. Um, speaking of live, this is going up on Friday. Now, there'll be some stuff that people have already seen, uh, stuff that we're about to talk about that I have no clue what we're going to talk about. But by the time people hear this, they'll already know because of the announcements we've made. But as a bit of a reminder, Los Angeles Times Festival of Books is this weekend, and I'm doing something at, I think it's noon. I want to say noon. I keep forgetting. At noon on... Saturday and you guys are doing something on Saturday as well. Yeah, we're doing a talk about environmental storytelling um, on Saturday at 3 p.m. Fantastic. Yeah. So for all of you who maybe haven't uh, checked it out yet, you should. I'm trying to like dig in here. Here we go. Um, you should check out the LA Times Festival of Books. There are probably still tickets available. It's free. you got to sign up, but it's free. And yeah, my thing's at noon. The guy's thing's at three. And there's something else you mentioned. There's going to be a little... Yeah, we're going to do a kind of a little pop-up exhibit. Um, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Well, that's fine. That's um, uh, kind of a little excerpt from The Nest, which is a show we did a couple years ago that we're going to talk about a little bit more in a second. Um, but we're going to do like a little five minute, um, experience where guests can get a little taste of what they would have seen had they come to the nest in uh, 2017. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, absolutely lovely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, it's interesting cause like neither, none of us have books, but because of the way the festival is evolving, they're inviting experiential makers and folks who know about it to it. And it's going to be. I, mean, I don't know. Have you, have you guys been looking at like who's coming 
to the festival. It's a like insane. Bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's mostly like VR stuff. Um, and there's a little selection. I think it's called Outside New- of the Authors. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Outside of the Authors. Oh, I'm just talking right. about the authors. Because I was like going through, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like this person and that person. Like, holy crap. No, it's so, huge. I yeah. think they said there's like 150,000 people that attend. It's Isn't massive. that what that email said? Like, yeah. huge. Oh, and it's at USC for anyone listening yeah. in case. Uh, I gotta and then they they sent the parking notice like today and I gotta look at and figure out like oh yeah how am I gonna how's how's it gonna handle yeah USC is really easy to park and get around easily yeah oh no it is but like when there's 150,000 people coming it might be a (laughs) little more complicated (laughs) so yeah it's gonna be I don't know I feel like I feel like the last time there was immersive experiential stuff on the USC campus to to in a large degree it was uh indicate a couple of years ago and that sort of kicked oh, off right. a whole bunch of stuff for us here so i'm kind of excited like there's something about being on that campus that feels like it's mark's eras so but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about your guys's next project which by the time this airs will have been announced but at this point i have no idea what's going on so um, so should we do almost like a little, we'll do a little tiny intro for anyone that doesn't know us. Um, makes sense, yeah. so Jeff and I, um, we worked together in uh, theme park at one of the bigger theme park companies that shall not be named. Um, and in addition to our theme park work over the past couple of years, we've been working a lot in immersive theater. Um, you know, like many people after we saw sleep no more, maybe five or six years ago at this point, we became obsessed with immersive theater, started going to every show we could and started to figure out how can we translate our skills at theme park design into immersive design. So we worked with Delusion for a few years. We worked a little bit with Third Rail um, and then decided that we want to kind of do our own project. So we kind of co-founded an immersive theater company called Scout Expedition Co. It's based in L.A. Um, and uh, we've been doing projects for the past couple of years. Yeah, so in 2017, um, we did a project that was called The Nest, and so that's sort of what we want to talk about today uh, uh, without, you know, giving it away. We w- So the last couple of years, we've been a little bit quiet. We've been working on a lot of different projects. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the immersive creators can, you know, uh, understand, like, you're constantly juggling different projects, and it's, it's just a matter of the right opportunity coming up to sort of decide which one is getting served up at the moment. Um, otherwise, you know, the other's go on the back burner. So we've had a couple, you know, starts and stops over the years, um, come really close to some things. Um, but we're super excited because um, the next thing that we're going to be doing is we're bringing back the nest. Ah. <laughs> yes. And this is going to be so like Jeff said, we, you know, have been uh, had all these projects on the kind of on the back burner or kind of thinking through many different things at once. But We've been looking for spaces for you know one of these projects, and we just came across the most perfect space. Um, it's a 1920s era storage building. There's a beautiful open air freight elevator that leads up to the floor of storage. Um, and when we saw the space, it was just like it's yeah. destiny. Like we have to bring back the nest. Like there's no other choice. But it's going to be totally rewritten. Totally, you know, the ultimate kind of like director's cut you could say version of it uh the version that we wish we could have made from the beginning yeah yeah so i mean like we're taking a lot of the things we learned from the original production and you know after uh you know a year two years i can't believe it's been that long already but like we are taking all the learnings from it and sort of applying them in this new version i mean like we we really love designing and creating the original nest um in many ways we sort of like you know, started the design process with that show, not really sure of what the format would be or how exactly we would tell the story and sort of like, 
through our inspiration of escape rooms and narrative video games and immersive theater and like a serialized podcast, we sort of like mashed it all up together and created what was the nest in 2017. Um, now fast forward, you know, we've had a lot of time to sort of like think about it and take those learnings. And um, we're, we're hoping that, you know, we're going to uh, create a totally different experience. And I guess not hoping we are going to. And yeah, like, definitely. so like Jared said, we're rewriting the script. There's going to be a whole new layout, uh, new audio tapes, um, I guess we could talk a little bit about what The Nest is, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, like I said, it was a mashup of escape rooms, narrative video games, immersive theater. And uh, one to two guests at a time uh, would explore the storage unit of a woman named Josie who uh, had passed away. Um, and so you spent, uh, it's about 45 minutes, 50 minute show, and you would go through the, uh, her storage unit, exploring through all of her belongings that she kept and collected throughout the years. Um, and as well as a series of audio tapes, um, that she recorded as sort of like a personal diary. And so, uh, th throughout that experience, then you'd sort of piece together, like sort of the, the story of her entire life. And it's really based on, you know, the idea that the objects that someone owns can tell a story. And so the example we always use is when you go to a garage sale or when you're looking through an attic, the person who owns those things is not necessarily there, but you can piece together the story of their life based on those things. We're at my um, <clears throat> dining room table right now. And, uh, I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> you like porgs a lot. There's porgs everywhere. Not pork. It yeah, sounds like that. Not porgs. porgs from Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, not not so much on the pork actually. Yeah. Like bacon's fine, but like not not a big not big on the swine. Porgs so. might be good too. I don't know. Uh, hey, hey! Actually, that part really upset me when like you. Uh, they kind of look good. I don't know. <laughs> Out of my nice house. You know, I'm going to drink from the Yoda glass. Um, so, so all new experience. I guess for people who've seen the show um, or, or for anyone who might just be curious in general, does that mean, and you say you're rewriting it. So new characters, like new, like a whole new story, a whole new frame or, so or what? So that's kind of why I somewhat think of it as a yeah. director's cut is it really is the, it's the same general story, but again, you know, we really mm. looked at, you know, we did 250 shows of the last version and really had a lot of opportunity to figure out what works well, what doesn't from a storytelling perspective, from a layout perspective, from a puzzle perspective, from, you know, everything. So we're going to go back and rewrite every script and make sure the story flows a lot better together. We're going to re-record everything so the audio quality is better. We're going to, um, you know, some of the, we had some great actors last time, Mackenzie um, and Matthew from Speakeasy Society and but besides that, like a lot of the other actors, we brought in some friends. We're like, please do us a solid. Like, we don't have a lot of money for this. So I think for this, we're going to hire, you know, actors for everything. We're going to, this is the, again, kind of ultimate version. We're, put, we're putting a lot more money into this version. Um, so it's going to be like, everything is going to be at a much higher quality than it was mm -hmm. before. So it should be even more impressive. I mean, I think the original one still did really well. People seem to really like it. Um, but of course, we always want to make everything even better the next time. How does it feel to be coming back to this piece after like a year and a half? Because I think it was about 18 months ago was like the last time you guys ran it. Because in terms of what, what's been seen of your guys' work, it's been, there's been a fair number of workshops. Um, but yeah, how does it feel to be kicking around in this universe again? I think we kind of realized that we needed to... <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's a little bit clogged. Um, 
Are you allergic to cats by any chance? No. Okay. Maybe I'm finding that out right now. Mm. But I don't oh my think God, so. He's turning red. Yeah. Oh he's falling God. over. Oh, my God. <laughs> there is. Um, or maybe you're just allergic to porgs. So. Uh, I don't know. I mean, allergies are kind of bad right now, so it might be uh, allergy-related okay. in general. Maybe not so, to cats. We were saying. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I think, you know, when we were putting together some, at least for me personally, when we were putting together some documentation recently or within the past year for an award we were submitting to, um, for the nest and really kind of going back and looking through the story and looking through all of the reviews and looking through everything, you know, I think I came to the realization, Jeff probably came to the same realization too, maybe at a different moment that, you know, people really enjoyed the show before and like, we need to bring it back. Like it, uh, we, in the original run, you know, it was very, it was, it was kind of the two of us running it. It was kind of, uh, you know, it was a great experience, but it was very time consuming and very um, kind of overwhelming at times potentially. Um, so we really, the reason why we had to close it down for a while was just, you know, to focus a little bit on our personal lives and stuff. It wasn't that the show wasn't successful. It wasn't that we didn't like it. And well, it's so also we in your backyard, it Jeff. Back. So right, right. like having all those people in your backyard all the time is probably getting a little bit much. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and the, the good thing about the show too, like it's, it's so intimate and it's only for one or two people at a time. So even though we did 250 shows, I mean, we had a little over 400 people come and see the show. And so in the grand scheme of things, it's, I mean, it's a lot of people for sure, but like there was still, we, we got plenty of, uh, you know, emails and everybody that we asked or whenever we did a workshop or a talk or anything like that, people would always approach us and say like, Oh cool. So uh, where can I go see it? Where, when can I go see it? We're like, uh, is it still running? And we would always have to tell them like, well, no, we, you know, we only were able to do about six months of that. So I I mean, we'd still, we'd still like, looking back on it now, right. And looking at the fact you've had like 400 people come through it, like one of the more broadly seen pieces of work in Los Angeles in the past few years. Right. Like, I mean, there's plenty of shows here in town where it's lucky if like 150 people get a chance to see it. So, um, and such a, it's such a great introduction to, well, that's the funny thing is like, there isn't really anything like it. Like even all this time later, even though all those pe- all those people have seen it, like no one's really played in that formula the way you guys did. Yeah, I mean, and it's always been sort of like, so it's been lingering for a while in terms of like, well, we know at some point it's inevitable we are going to return to the nest. We are going to remount this show at some point in what capacity we don't we don't know. And so when the opportunity came up with the space, like the just the stars aligned and it. We had to do it. We had. So where where is this spot? Is it something you're keeping under under wraps right I now? I think we is want it? to keep the specific location kind of <laughs> under wraps. However, um, like we talked about at the beginning, it is in this beautiful 1920s era era storage building. Um, so you know, as people will see in the trailer, that's been released by the time this podcast is released. Um, the building is absolutely beautiful. You'll enter. You'll go up this open air freight elevator. You know, seeing the exposed. <clears throat> the exposed shaft of the elevator coming out on the higher floor, turning the corner, seeing kind of that row of storage units lining both sides of a hallway. And it really feels, I mean, this was a real storage building. So it fits in so perfectly with the story. And, you know, we keep saying it, but the space alone is is so inspiring and, and fits in so perfectly with everything that we're doing. It also just like fits in sort of like with this, with this remount, I guess, 
it fits in with the theme of the show, which is that uh, that we've always we always envisioned, but like we couldn't practically sort of convey in the original show, which is that like every single if you go to a storage unit place, you know, you see rows and rows of just like these doors, right? And they're all the same, and it's just like this endless line of doors all the way down. And it's so interesting to just think about like how many. You know, Josie might have this one storage unit and have this amazing story to tell, this like really heartfelt story. Uh, but there's something behind, there's a person, there's a person's lives behind like each and every one of these doors. And so at, with this space, I mean, like we really have an opportunity to sort of like expand upon that and sort of like, uh, you know, start telling other stories potentially in the future. We don't know yet, but like mm. we, we like that idea and we, we like the idea that, you know, like, we're able to um, just finally be able to uh, have that setup of the story and have people like feel it, you know, yeah. that this is just one story of many potentially. Yeah. Well, and that, that being in the actual kind of space, I mean, that, I mean, it was, it was great to like be in your backyard, but there is something to going into a space where the story or where what you're doing could really be happening. Right. You know, um, which is, it's, it's one of the things that sort of gets missing sometimes from what we do in immersive these days, just out of necessity. Like, you know, there's plenty of, there's, there's, what's great is like, there are locations that are like immersive friendly and like things they right. programmed into, but you know, people still think that the McKittrick is actually a hotel, right? right. You know, and I people, did the first yeah. time I went. <laughs> right. Or at least thought that it was like a historic, that's what it at least was, or right. part of right. it was. Right, You know, like, and, and that, that part of the legend, you know, like, or or with Then She Fell, like the idea that like it's Kingsland Ward. Yeah, and, same. You know, I thought that that was yeah. legit in some capacity or yeah. another. And, and Maybe I'm just like very <laughs> gullible, I'm now realizing. This isn't actually an apartment, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but, oh, no. um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know what it would be, but that <laughs> felt like the thing to say at the time. But, um, th this idea of like, um, enchanting space and that's something right. you guys are particularly adept at. So I wonder if you could kind of like talk about that. And that's that part, you know, storytelling through space is sort of your guys' thing. So maybe you could scratch the surface there a little bit, you know? Yeah, well, I think that was one of the keys we talked about a little bit um, a second ago is we do have so many different ideas in mind of shows that we want to do, but really need to find the perfect space that speaks to us mm -hmm. and seems like it's the perfect fit because, you know, to your point, I mean, in a storage building, we don't want to do a story about Porgs. I guess we could. We could probably find a way to do that, but you know, yeah. it, it's, it's really, Noah's storage unit. <laughs> yes, exactly. But we really, uh, the foundation of any type of environmental storytelling is that the shape that you're in has to kind of match the archetype of that space that people have created in their heads. And mm. so we talk about this a lot um, at different talks we've done. We'll probably talk about it tomorrow at the, uh, again, one more plug, LA Times Festival of Books. Be there uh, Saturday at three. It's free. Um, it's free. Yeah, it's free. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, when, if you want to tell a story in an attic, like people know what an attic should look like and what it should feel like. It's, you probably are entering from the floor. The, the walls are sloped on the side. There's probably no windows. There's probably like, these are the basic things that make up the form of the space. 
and that do so much of the heavy lifting that now your audience members don't have to think about where they are and they can really focus on the story. And, so, and, and they even have like a, a frame in their mind of what type of story they're going to find. Right. Yes. You know, like, Oh, we're, we're maybe going to be in a child's memories. Maybe it's going to be a ghost story. Maybe it's going to be something that kind of marries the two things. Right. Sure. This, this idea that certain types of places, they are for certain types of things. And so we start to expect and those, and you can play right. into and, subvert those expectations right and yeah, public yeah. space versus private space it plays a lot into what types of stories you can tell or are there private spaces in public spaces so a good example of that is of course like being on the subway in new york city mm. like it, you're kind of in a private space even though you're surrounded by people and there's but any moment there. it could be showtime exactly so, yes. yeah bumps 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 sorry yes <laughs> i get the common thread with um you know those shows and hopefully our show um is that like once you have this set up and once like it, it feel the, the transition feels natural enough that like you don't question that you're in a real psychiatric ward. So now as soon as you're in there, like you are open to the story and going down the rabbit hole or, you know, seeing all these weird spaces in the kitchen hotel, because like you're not having to do all this, um, front end work in your head of like, okay, now where am I like supposed to be? I know it's not like really, uh, you know, a, a hotel or whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. But now I have to like sort of imagine that on top of all the story that's being delivered to yeah, you. So it sort right. of like puts your guard down, I guess a little yeah. bit and, and then, allows you to sort of like consume the story a bit more naturally. It's like, did you guys get to see the, uh, the cuckoo's nest they did in Berlin? Yeah. 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 And like walking. That was cool. Yeah. Like, that was really cool. like once you got through like the showers, uh, and, and opened up the doors and it was like, Oh my God. And so that was one of the coolest things I've seen in a Merson show lately is just, that was such a cool feeling of having no idea who the actors were and who the audience members were yeah. because the costumes were so relatively simple. It was like the garb essentially that everyone was wearing. Like I've never really had that experience before. Yeah. Like you're saying those doors are open and you just see like a hundred people in front of you and you have no idea who's who. Yeah. Was I, I was, I was loaded in, I guess early enough that like, it was like, I, I Oh, you were one I, of the first I, people. Maybe it was okay. like, what, like first two or three groups. And so oh, I, got it. Okay, I, I had so, rec <laughs> so I, I had recognized the people in front of me in line. Right. Oh, so it. I was like, okay, I know who's who, but like, Oh, that would have been fun to be in the, that. See, yeah. This, we were this, like the last people. Oh my so, God. Like, opened up and there it was, was just like, like, it was full of all these people like roaming around. was like, I feel like I'm in a movie. Like this is what immersive is supposed to be. That's that's the back of the roller coaster effect right there. Yes. Right? You pulled the totally. most G's. Yeah, so, totally. Oh god, yeah. that's amazing. I didn't even I didn't even think about that as like a possibility. Oh yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Fantastic. Oh wow. Um but yeah, like those those moments where where you know that that part of the heavy lift is done for you. Right. Like when you look around, you're like, oh no, I'm here. You know, you don't have to you don't have to sketch it in for yourself, you know? And right. And it's funny because it's part of it's just a matter of like, where do you put, you know, where are you putting resources? But because of the way you guys work, like, you know, at least, at least with the nest, you know, the, there aren't actors in this space. There is someone running the show. Right. So like that's, that's human power that needs to be compensated or needs to be you guys doing it. Right. Um, there's, there's, who knows, I don't know how your onboarding system is going to be this time, but the, the vast majority of the work is in the sense of the prep. It's like building the set, designing yes. the story, designing the puzzles, uh, doing the audio, and and that's what's carrying people through. So the work's sort of done, and that means that the space really has to hold up a, a fair amount of that suspension of disbelief. Because right. like in a show with a live performer, the live perform it's it's all about that relationship to the performer. 
Right. Like yeah. no matter no matter what, it's about the relationship to the performer. If the performer's not doing a good job of of grounding you and connecting to that world, you're not going to care about the story. In this case, so much of it, I mean, yes, there are performers in the sense of there's a performance, but it's an edited performance in the form of the audio so that right. it's really about being anchored to the story and to the world that's been built. Right. And there's something so cool about that, too. I mean, I love shows with actors in them, too, as well, because, you oh. know, there are so many fantastic examples of that here in L.A., but there's something about... Um, you know, finding someone's secrets and listening to journals and, um, or audio journals and like reading letters and things that almost seem like this direct conduit into someone's mind where you're really, you know, you're not, uh, learning the story by someone, you know, an actor or character explaining, you know, their thoughts to you or kind of their own, you know, edited version of what they want to tell you. It's like, no, you're almost getting the pure version of the story because you're going straight to something that, should be fairly private to that person. So, right, they're not putting on an act. Yeah. The, ca- the character, I mean, not yeah. as an act. The character <laughs> themselves is not putting on an act like they are writing this journal or writing this note um, that, yeah, again, is almost like a conduit, like straight into their mind. Yeah, a confession. That's a, right. a confession that's that's not being told to another person. Right. Like it's it's unmediated. That's right. it's it, that's that's what yeah. it is. It's like it's unmediated, even in the form, even. Um, and actually, there's know. very really great examples of that in um, "Then She Fell," where you're brought into a room and you're kind of left alone in that room for maybe a minute or two before the actor comes in, and you can, if you poke around, you might find a letter that they wrote to another character or something like that. And so you're getting that, you know, peek into their mind before the actor comes in, and then delivers the rest of the scene to you. So it's like you have this own secret knowledge essentially of, Mm. I hear what you're saying as an actor, but I also kind of know a little bit more deeply what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's also something, and we've talked about this a lot in the past, but um, especially in the nest, allowing guests to sort of like piece together everything on their own. Uh, The show is like very nonlinear, or at least the story is delivered in a very nonlinear way. Um, So you're finding these audio cassette tapes and they're from throughout Josie's life from, you know, when she was, you know, 12 years old till when she passed away. Um, And we got a lot of reaction from the original show that, you know, people would interpret it in ways, depending on which tapes they found and what sequence they found them in, would sort of like build Josie in their own mind and sort of like imprint themselves or their family members Mm. or their friends onto her and like give us these interpretations and and, and how they, uh, you know, perceived the story. And it was just amazing, like the difference, the wide variety of like different reactions and takes that we got. And all of them are legitimate. All of them are, you know, totally correct. But I think that that was another part that was really successful and speaks to, I guess, not having an actor in our case, um, the strength of not having an actor and letting the environment and um, her own personal, you know, effects deliver the story. It's kind of like when you get, um, when you're reading a novel and you get a picture of the character in your mind. Right. And, and which can also sometimes make like the movie adaptations of things like really, really hard or also oh, like totally. high stakes where Definitely. you're like, oh, oh, they totally got Gandalf or like, right. oh, that's not my Rick Grimes. Right. You know, both of which are actual examples for me. Right. right. You know, it's like, oh, that, that, that's what I always saw. Um, and being excited. Like when you're like, oh my God, it's what I always saw in my head. <laughs> um, or being completely the other way. And it's like, that is, nope, nope, that's not how it goes. I can't watch this. Um, and that's how I felt with like American gods. And I really enjoyed mm. that book a lot, but 
and I know that from a lot of friends who have seen the show, like they love it. I know it's good. Like, yeah. but it, there is something in, but like getting in the way for me in terms of like it, it isn't how I pictured it, which is very like selfish, I guess of a weird way to like, uh, judge something, but like, you know, it's not, it's unwarranted, but still there's something to that. There's oh some- yeah. I mean, that was straight up for me, uh, walking dead. Like, I mean, I, I, I finally got to a point where with the comics, like it was too depressing. I was just okay. like, I can't, I can't do this anymore, which ironically enough was right after the arc, uh, or right after the arc that should have been the last arc, which like years later, Kirkman came out and was like, all, oh, yeah, I was going to end it at this, but then I decided that I liked money. Uh, and, and for me, like I was done with the story by that point. And okay. like, it's like, and now it's like another five, six years on. But right. like when the show came out, like I, I slogged my way for the first season, but like the lead actor, I was like, that's, that's not, that's not Rick. That's not like, it's not the voice in my head. It's not the way the guy looks And comics can be even harder. Cause it's like, you know, very stylized, stylized. And, yeah. and, and it's a visual, it's also a visual medium. And when yeah. someone's like, Oh, that's not what he looks like, you know, right. and right. like you spend a lot of time. You forge this like really deep connection that oh. way when you're like, again, sort of putting yourself or your own, like, you know, uh, your own perspective on things. Yeah. Your own, like, personal experience. Yeah. And and years and years and years, like, with, like, the serialized form. And and there is such power to um, having that absence, right? Like, not having... um, It's it's something that's interesting, and uh, even straighter up analog... um, there's the show Homecoming, yeah. which uh, was mm-hmm. a podcast, right? Uh, and then was instantly turned into a television series. And yeah, I didn't see the television. I listened to the podcast. I listened yeah. to like I think mm-hmm. I listened to both like the first episode of the podcast and watched the first episode of the series. Did it happen okay. for you too on the on the show with like the yeah. difference between like Oscar Isaac and the person that they cast oh as my, the soldier? Well, yeah. even even more importantly, uh, you know watching Julia Roberts and just going like, why can't this be Catherine Keener? Yeah. You know, yeah. she like, was so amazing in like, the podcast that it doesn't, <laughs> and it was, and it was the same script, like almost word for word. Right. And I'm just like all like, and, and that podcast, the way they cast, cause yeah, it was like, it was Oscar Isaac and Catherine Keener. It's almost just like, they like, they like got a bunch of like A and B list people and like came right. up with an amazing thing. And then like they did the same thing for the, for the television show, but it was just a different group of amazing yeah. people. And how and could you not put Dave Schwimmer? In the show, <laughs> yeah. What is he doing? That like, <laughs> right. like that's that's a really funny thing. I was just like, yeah, just like, guys, the ADR is already done. Just do right. the show. <laughs> Basically, that's not true. The ADR you have to match, but but yeah, like I was just like, this is weird. This feels this is yeah. uncanny. It's uncanny valley. Yes, you know, it's the same story. I mean, but it doesn't feel like it's yours anymore. Right, and I guess it'd be less of a problem if it was like. Oh, this is 15 years later and this is a remount, but it's right. like, it's, it was six months or something like that. Right. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. like they sold, they it felt like they sold the podcast and the television show at the same time or like yes. Amazon's got this whole vision. Like, yeah, we'll test your scripts in podcast form. And then if they, there's six, if there's enough downloads, we'll green light episodes. Right. Yeah, like right. this is what we learned from lore and Spotify right. purchased Gimlet media. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean like, uh, yeah, I'm sure that they're already Spotify. Like, if you, no, <laughs> <laughs> they're already fast tracking, you know, like all that sort of stuff. They, that's like the end game for them, I yeah. assume. No, I, th- I think you're totally dead on right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, see, this this it, this kind of comes circles back around to like you know the issue we have. You know, well, here's a thought. So you guys are gonna do this one in this space, and you're gonna run it 
probably like what, get like another month or two run, a couple months run or something like that. We're gonna do three, three month run. Yeah, get like month, a, yeah. get like a three month run going on. Yes, hopefully pump a couple of hundred more people through. Yes. you know, um, maybe, maybe more depending on how how it's structured. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, is there room? Is there room for there to be like more than one instance? If you like found the right space in like some other metro region, like would you guys drop? Would you guys feather another nest? Yeah, definitely. I think I think like we we don't want to just do the nest till the end of time. I right. wouldn't say, <laughs> but you know, we think this version is going to be again. This is the version we always wanted to make. But um, yes, we'd love to do other versions in other places necessarily. Or like Jeff was saying, you know, if we do something in another place. Maybe it's a different person's story from a different era with a different method of exploring with a different, you know, the, with the only similar thread is that you're exploring someone's storage unit. But beyond that, it could be anybody telling yeah. any story in any way. Um, so, yeah, that that would be fantastic. I mean, right now we're really like laser focused, obviously, on this Ooh. and getting this open. Um, but we'd love to explore other things in the future. Well, or, so even, or even just like, you know, I mean, I, just, I see this potential to like, not take these shows on the road necessarily, but like plug them around. Cause right. you know, it's not like I, I look at something like this or I look at, you know, uh, crossroads psych ward, mm. you know, particularly cause that one completely changes based on who you're playing with. Like right. the puzzles don't really change, but there's a meta game, which is all about the people who you're in with the room and this idea of for it, it, you know, psych ward, you get lumped in as an escape room or as escape, much the way that like, you know, when people are like talking about the nest, it was like, well, it's kind of like there's escape roomish type yes, thing, but not really, you know. Yeah, which is a, a fair lot. comparison. I yeah. mean, it had like interactive moments. And, but for us, it was like when we were, you know, sort of like tackling pro design problems while designing the show, it was always for us personally, we love escape rooms, but it was always kind of falling back to like our our passion for video games. Like that's where a lot of those solutions came out of. And I, I think that just the real world, you know, anal, uh, you know, sort of uh, comparable thing is escape rooms. Yeah. That, that's that's yeah. the easiest way. Yeah. yeah. But it's most similar. I mean, again, for someone who hasn't seen the show, it's probably most similar to a live version of like Firewatch or what remains of Edith Finch or something like that, where it, it's an interactive story that essentially, which has some escape room elements in it, but it's really, it's not difficult. It's not, we're not trying to stump people. We're not trying to, you know, for, uh, have people fail at the end and not yeah. find the whole story. It's like everyone gets through it. Well, you always get through the story. And that's the thing. Like in 2017, when you guys were doing this one, like the idea that the that the room couldn't beat you was right. like you know like foreign and alien and even a little bad. Right. And now like even the escape room industry has kind of come around to the point where they realize like they're in the entertainment business and they, they're trying to entertain oh, people for 50 to 60 minutes, even, you know, and like, and they want to make sure that people have a good time for 50 right. to 60 minutes. Cause like the, the ultimate irony of the escape rooms is it doesn't matter how fast, uh, the team beats the room. The room cannot be rented out until the top of the next hour. Right. Right. Like, even if it's not like you're like, Oh, we can run early. Like that. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I mean, maybe right. like, Oh yeah. You guys are here early. Five Great. Minutes. Like we'll, yeah, we'll shove whatever. you in early cause yeah. we're reset. Like, yeah. It's like you want it to be difficult enough that it like, you feel like you get your money's worth for like 45 minutes. But like if you beat it in 30 minutes, you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Right. Like that right. was great. We did a really good job. But like, 
I wanted more right. time yeah. in the room. And it's not like someone could come along with a quarter and just like play the game now. Sure. You know, right. like it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But there's also nothing necessarily wrong with having a challenging room. It just kind of depends on what the goal is. Is the goal, and it would be different in different rooms, is the goal of a specific experience to be a big challenge? Then yes, yeah, you'd yeah, want yeah. it to be a very probably yeah. low escape room so that or oh. escape rate so people feel very proud when they do it. But in our case, we want to tell a story and you can't really do a very good job of telling a story if you just like cut it off halfway through and just say, okay, get out. It's like, that sucked. You know, <laughs> that's a crappy way to tell a story is just to cut it off partway through. Well, also in like with, with a high challenge room, I mean like that is entertainment for 60 minutes and it's like, right. if you can't beat it in 60 minutes. You, you are entertained because that's what, you know, hopefully you chose, you know, right. like you, you didn't just wander in accidentally, but like, oh, I don't understand right. how anything works, you know? Right. Um, I mean like think about, I still haven't been to the palace escape. Uh, palace escapes. Oh no, um, we almost went for IDS, but yeah. it just was too crazy with the workshop and everything yeah. else that was going on. Every year, every year, with the past two years for IDS, people were like, "Oh, come play with us," yeah. and I'm like, oh, "I'm exhausted." You're so busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? Like, I want to sleep. And this year, it was even like, I, I was like, hosting something that day too, and like my voice was gone. I'm like, why right. am I doing any of this? A very expensive nap. Oh God, a very but. expensive nap. It'd been awesome though. Maybe there's so. an idea there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nap. I'm saying coffee. Look, look. People are already doing like Airbnb, you know, story room Airbnbs. Mm. I'm saying story room coffin hotels or story room nap pods. You know, like those nap go. pods at airports. Mm-hmm. Just think about nap pods all over the place, but you put a little story, little little story element in there. Like, yeah. was there was there a homeless heroin addict in this nap pod before <laughs> me? Or is this just what the story <laughs> oh, seems to be? I'm going to fall asleep right here just thinking <laughs> oh, about <God>. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different kind of nod. Um, so. Yeah, but we... Uh, I mean, story room too. It's like, we don't really even know what to call the nest at the end of the day. It's like, is it a story room? I don't know. Cause like it, it mixes up all these different, different like loves that we have together. So we don't even, it's always hard to describe to people a little bit, you know, combines all of these elements together. Yeah. Well, and you reminded me that I need to play What Remains of Edith Finch, which uh, for those of you who have Xbox Game Pass, it Ooh. is free right now. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, nice. I, I did just okay. download it. It's I, so good. I, it's I, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So so if you're if you're giving Microsoft money on the regular, uh, like you you have the right to download it. And I, I, I did. I, I haven't started playing it. But That's cool. Yes. And we had like one of the um, designers like randomly. It was like super randomly. I forget who had recommended the nest to him but he he was one of the designers on uh edith finch and he happened to come see the show and it was just this cool like hey we were inspired by you he came to us was like oh yeah i worked on this game i don't know if you've heard of it it's called what remains of Edith Finch." and we were just like it was just this awesome (laughs) moment of like this uh we're both being inspired by each other and you know creating and now he's creating uh you know new games that are inspired by immersive theater and vice versa so it's just it's awesome oh that's fantastic You'll have to, we'll have to talk some more about that. Yeah. Um, so when, so you'll, you'll have made the announcement by then. So, um, pre- pretend it's the future. Cause like I can, I can keep <laughs> yes. a secret. So what, uh, what's the details guys? Come on. So we're going to be, we're working Plus on also right this will release. I mean, as you know, it released. Yes, right, right. definitely. Um, we're working really hard on it right now. Um, we don't have an exact opening night scheduled yet because it's probably a few months out but we're thinking like late summer early fall that's Mm. kind of what we're targeting uh we're we're in the space right now we're starting to build stuff um and over the next month or two we'll probably lock that down um but yeah it should be we'll have more details on our website very soon 
Um, and also at the same time, we're really trying to, you know, raise some money, which is never a fun thing to talk about. Well, we are doing a Kickstarter, um, which, you know, we just want to, you know, make this the most, um, kind of like creatively pure show it could be. So that's why we're trying to do a combination of self-funding and kickstarting instead of approaching investors. Because I think when you start to get investors involved, you know, they want, you know, a specific return on their investment and yeah. it starts to get like, you know, oh, how can we operate this faster? How can we operate it cheaper? Like, you know, how can we make this into, you know, the, the most well-oiled machine it possibly can be? Where what we're really trying to explore right now is how can we make the best experience for our audience members? How can we make it the coolest experience, the most creative thing, the thing that kind of we're the most excited about? Um, so we think the best way to do that essentially is self-funding, doing a combination of self-funding it and kickstarting for fans of the immersive community and anyone that wants to contribute. So is the Kickstarter kicking off next week? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Everything should have uh, come out uh, in the past, a few days ago on <laughs> Tuesday. Uh, the Kickstarter, uh, the trailer, and our new show website, which is theneshow.com. Um, but for the Kickstarter, I mean, part of it too, like, of course, yes, there is the side of it where like we're raising funds, but we also like tried to view it as this opportunity. And I'm sure a lot of people say this, but like we genuinely are trying to um, make this more than just like, hey, give us some money and we'll send you like a t-shirt. We're trying to um, make the rewards feel like genuinely uh, appropriate and like uh, fun and interesting for the show. Like, uh, you know, we're offering a few tickets, not like a lot of tickets um, for the show, but um, we are offering at sort of the lower tiers some really cool uh, opportunities to sort of get more content for the nest, like more stories surrounding it. So we have one that's called uh, Storage Stories, which is sort of like what we had talked about before where uh, we'll mail you, um, or not, I'm sorry, this is a different one. Um, we'll give you, uh, a, you know, like a code online to, that you can redeem that you can sort of like look through uh, the contents of another storage unit at the, the Los Angeles storage company, as right. we're uh, calling it, uh, this building that we're in. So you get a little bit of a glimpse, look through some little files and little ephemera that, you know, that they have in their storage unit so that you get a little sense of the other occupants and tenants uh, of the building uh, that are alongside Josie. So again, like opportunity to build upon this story of the nest and like get other little bits of, of story and yeah, flesh out the world a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 And that one was really inspired by something that we um, had looked at with the original show, too, which is called the Willard Suitcase Project, um, which I don't know if we talked about last time we were on the podcast. No, I don't think but so. um, there was a ward. I can't remember the exact details, but there was a ward in upstate New York um, that had closed many, many years ago. And a photographer um, got some sort of permission to go and. Uh, kind of look in the attic of this ward where there were suitcases left behind from the people who used to live there um, many, many years ago. So I don't know, de decades ago at this point. So these people had probably long since passed away. Um, but he got permission from the state to kind of photograph the contents of these suitcases that um, the people had brought with them to the ward. And so these are, you know, people's most prized possessions, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that gives you a little peek into kind of who that person is. And so we kind of want people to have this same feeling kind of when they're looking through this website of, uh, you know, you're maybe reading a couple things, maybe there's a couple photographs of some objects and things like that. Um, but again, just being able to, just from these few pieces of information, kind of piece together the story of a different person besides Josie. What, what are you guys looking to, to raise on the Kickstarter? What's the goal? 
Have you settled yet? We will have settled by the time it launches. (laughs) We're kicking around a couple things. You know, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be live and everything. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll we're still kind of, yeah, yeah, we're still we'll, kind of, we'll, we're still kind of kicking yeah. around a couple, a couple yeah. of different options in our head. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have the, we'll have the definitive details. Um, oh, probably, I mean, even in the, like, the cold open, we'll like probably have like the, the basic notes, but like we'll, we'll okay. talk a little bit afterwards. Cool. Um, this obviously is like eating up a lot of your bandwidth. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and I know, I know Jared, I know you still have your day job and Jeff, you're, you're full-time freelance these days. And full-time I am, this. although I, I just accepted a, a new role that I can, I can talk about a little bit cause I'm starting next Monday. Um, I am, uh, lots of changes here in the yeah. next couple of weeks, starting a new full-time job at Magnopus as oh, a uh, narrative designer. Um, they, uh, you would probably know them they, they do a lot of secretive stuff, uh, a lot of cool stuff, uh, mostly VR related. Mm. Um, they worked on the Coco VR with Oculus. Oh. And they also cool, did yeah. the Blade Runner Memory Lab oh, yeah, piece, yeah. and then also um, the ISS, the space station like VR experience. Also, I believe with Oculus, but I might be wrong about that. Possible, yeah. I but don't know. Yeah, yeah. They're a really amazing company. I'm oh, cool. excited about it. Yeah. So. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to juggle. Yeah, a lot to juggle. Still going on. It's right still now very much only a, uh, two jobs. You guys are lazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, are. are this is going to eat up a lot of bandwidth probably for like the rest of the year, but there are other, there are other pots on the, on the scout burner. Are there, are there some, some bubbles brewing? Will this always yeah, be the we way? Have a, we have a show that we are really excited to do, but um, again, we don't, yeah, we still got to hammer out all the details. This is like a, a terrible tease, I guess. We, I don't even think <laughs> no, I want to say much of anything about it. But um, yeah, yeah, we definitely have some ideas that are are starting to bubble to the surface, like you're saying. Yeah, and cool. that are like ready. I think. I mean, they've been thought out enough and flushed out enough in our heads and through discussing it uh, that like, as soon as the right opportunity comes up, we would definitely pull the trigger on it. And our hope is that once we get the uh, the nest going, you know, for this initial three month run, um, you know, we will. Uh, be hiring people other than ourselves to hopefully run it um, in the future and so that we have time to then focus on those other efforts. Yeah. So our, our goal is to continue, you know, building this and, and opening new shows. Like Jared said, yeah. it's not just the nest forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we definitely have yeah. other ideas cooking. And it's a little bit like, you know, the original idea for the nest. I think when I was looking through old plans and old documents for it, I think we probably started thinking about it maybe three or four years before the show opened, but like in a very, very slow burn. So I think with kind of the second show that we're talking about, we're kind of in that same process where we just talk about it for a day and then we say, we take one little piece of that and like, okay, that's a good nugget. Like, let's keep that. Okay. Throw out the rest. And so uh, it's, it's nice to have a slow development process with stuff like that because you can really, um, to keep using the boiling, you know, uh, metaphor, you can really like uh, reduce it to like a mm. fine, yeah, yes, mm. to a to a fine a glaze or whatever yeah. it wants to be. No, but, um, but, but and take that time to really get the perfect thing. I will say, like, okay, I think one good tease for it is that we are really uh, inspired by video games, and so this new show, uh, this other new show that like uh, we're hoping to do someday. We will at some point. Um, is very much inspired by games, uh, specifically by uh, Lucas Pope, uh, who created oh, Papers, yeah. Please, yeah. and uh, Return of the Oprah Den. Like he, the, the, those two games specifically, I think for us for this new this other show that someday will happen, are, we're heavily inspired by that t- type of game mechanics, that type of 
play. Yeah. I still, I still haven't played Oberdin. That's amazing. Um, I'm like to the point where like, I mean, I was disconnected enough from the game world for a while that like I, other than the fact that it's by Lucas Pope, I don't know, but like papers, please, I mean, Papers, Please was part of, like, some of the initial conversations we were having, like, pre-no-pro days about, like, just this confluence of theater and internet storytelling and mm-hmm, games right. and how it all kind of meshes through and just the, the impact and effect you can have in part by building a world and in part by by what actions you're getting people to perform, right? Like, drawing people into the scenario. Like, that's the thing that's interesting, um, that's the thing that makes this stuff pop. Right. And that's, uh, um, not to keep going back to the nest, but one more thing that kind of reminds me of is that, no, please. you know, as, you guys are doing next. Yes. Yeah. As, as we're, um, you know, redesigning it, one of the big things we want to update is the kind of interactions that you have along the mm-hmm. way, mm. which, you know, I guess are closest in spirit to puzzles. But in our case, you know, we're not trying to stump people. We're not trying to, you know, make it these really difficult tasks to have, you have to complete. And we are trying to take more, um, you know, more inspiration from video games and some of those, or again, things like What Remains of Edith Finch or Firewatch, where, you know, there's a little interaction you have to do. Maybe you have to, um, in Firewatch, you know, you're talking to, what's the woman's name? I forget. Mm. Oh, gosh. Have you played it? I haven't played Firewatch. No, okay. The other main character besides you. I've lost my ability to, like, play almost all games that are like longer than 20 minutes on a phone right it's really right. one of the things i regret oh, about my life it's so good but it's on the list with oh gosh it was it's been so long since i played it. i need to play it again but the other the the main character essentially besides yourself um you know she might be giving you simple directions of how to do something as you're you know a fire lookout out in you know the wilderness and all you have to do is follow along with the directions but you're having that opportunity to walk in that character's footsteps it's not difficult um, but it's just a task that you're being given to complete that makes you feel like you are that person so we want to make sure that kind of all the puzzles and interactions really tie back into that um, with the nest which I think we did with the photo developing thing which was pretty popular of where Mm, you know you receive the steps to develop a photo it was very straightforward they were listed right in front of you but the magic is of developing the photo itself even though you know it's not a challenge it's still this like cool wow moment Um, but the other puzzles and interactions we think were not nearly as successful well again we were we we were sort of like solving this sort of as we went in the design and build process and so now like from the ground up we want to like go into it with these things in mind yeah yeah and make sure make like all of the interactions as cool as that oh my god that would be i mean like i had a slightly different perspective on that one just because like you guys had used some of that in something you'd done for third rail right but but that but having had that experience you know, it, it's such an amazing moment because it's something, you know, unless you are a person who like has done that before, like you, you, it's magic. Oh, it's, it's totally, I mean, it's, it's chemistry, but it's magic, right? you know? Um, and, and just, and particularly with how disconnected we are, like in some ways it's even, well, no, it's probably not, no, not more wondrous than it was when it was first invented, but like given like our relationship to images particularly photographs right now where it's just like snap something in your phone and look at it and it's there the idea that something can just emerge from paper is right just weird you have just, to take a photo and you can't actually see the result of that until <laughs> like you weeks wait. later or <laughs> yeah. whatever the case is yeah. yeah um still it's 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 still a joy um well guys thanks for 
giving us a, a preview. Is there anything else we should know about? You've got the Kickstarter coming. You're going to be announcing everything. And so yes. Now. By the time you're listening to this, all dear the listener, yeah. yes, all the details will be online. Um, our website is thenestshow.com. Um, and that'll link you to everything yeah. you need to know. Yeah, social media, all that stuff will totally. be you know all on that website. So those are the main details, I think. Yeah. Did we forget anything? No, that's it. All right. Well, Jared and Jeff, Scout Expedition Company. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Noah. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Jeff Leinenweber and Jarrett Lance for being our guests on the show. You can check out what they're up to at thenestshow.com. And again, if you haven't seen The Nest, this is a great opportunity. Uh, the Kickstarter's up and running. This is going to make it all possible. And um, sort of the, the I'd say like the critical thing, there's the, the you can buy pre-order tickets for like 150 bucks. Uh, and remember, tickets for The Nest are good for one or two people. So if you're looking to do two people, that's like $75. So really not too bad, uh, particularly in the expanded version. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be some, some treats there. Uh, there's uh, the $25 level is what gets folks access to the, the pre-sale queue. And this is, this is something I want to kind of like dive into for a second because I saw some people questioning. I'm trying to kind of understand it. And I can tell like, I, I don't think anyone's incredulous about that idea, but I want to remind everybody about what Kickstarters are for, right? Um, I, didn't know, I didn't know I was going to do this one, um, but, but, but I am. So um, we live in an era... <laughs> Here we go. Um, things cost. They cost a lot more than anyone would think they would, particularly in major metropolitan areas. Uh, if you live in Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York, you know how expensive it is to live here. So it should come as no surprise that when people want to do the work, it's going to cost you. Um, perceived value is such a, a, an important concept in our realm um, because uh people are willing to pay just about anything if they feel it's worth it, right? Like I dump I dump what money I I can into Star Wars stuff uh that keeps me grounded in that state of mind, almost like it's a religious tithe. And I do at times think of it that way. And when it comes to immersive, uh I often rely upon the fine dining metaphor. Uh, this idea that you're being given a lot of attention and there's a lot of detail. Um, when folks are trying to finance this stuff, because we're still in a mode, we're five years into the No Persinium project, and yeah, there are these big projects where people are like sniffing around with money and these plots and plans to kind of go wide and large, but we still have folks like Jeff and Jarrett who are bootstrapping, who are coming from the ground up using their own resources in order to make this work. And, you know, unlike a lot of folks who are, you know, just constantly grinding out work as a way to create a revenue stream and to keep their identity out there and to sort of like feed the fire, um, they take their time. And I think that's something that's really smart. I think that one of the things I've been seeing too much in the past, Mike, too much in the past couple of years is folks making work for the sake of making work and not taking the time to polish the work. Uh, 
and the result can often show. There's there's an essay in me uh, that I don't have the time to kind of get out, which is essentially if you're on your your third production, um, it's time to slow down. Uh, particularly if you've been doing stuff like back to back to back, slow down, take the time to polish the work because by the time you're at your third production, you need to start really widening the audience. Now we've been making a lot of tools over the past few years, no proscenium, everything immersive in order to broaden the audience as much as possible in order to amalgamate the audience who are existing in these different silos, whether it's this theater company versus that theater company or escape rooms versus VR or whatever. We've been trying to draw everyone together to create an oasis. Um, and it's, it's working, you know, it's definitely working, but it's not enough. And we've got that part of it. We keep on doing that part of it. But what we need to see on the creative side is people taking the time to do their best work, right? To not just enthusiastically run and do something and 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 get dirty and go test, um, but at least once you've hit that third, at least on every other one, slow down, take the time, polish. How does this relate to crowdfunding? Well, oftentimes the reason why people don't do that is because they don't have the resources. They don't have what in business is often called the runway right? You need a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money. Specifically, you need a certain amount of money in order to buy the time, in order to do the work, to get things polished enough to a state where once you present the work, then suddenly the work is drawing more attention and bringing more people in and thus sparking what we hope to be a virtuous circle, as opposed to racing to get work done on a short period of time, in a short period of time, because you don't have the resources in order to get it out there, in order to keep yourself afloat. You might stay afloat, but odds are you're not going to expand your audience. If anything, chances are that audience is gonna shrink because you're not able to breathe and put your best work forward. And Maker knows we want that more than anything. We want the audience to expand because an expanded audience allows us to be more sustainable as well. This is a mutually beneficial relationship. Good work helps us grow as well, which is why I'm encouraging folks. Now to talk to folks who aren't making and who are looking at a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding effort and they might be looking at something like, well, why would I give five dollars or ten dollars if I'm not gonna get a ticket why would I give why would I give twenty five dollars if if I'm only gonna get the right to buy a ticket early and not even a guaranteed purchase but just the right to and you have to remember at that point that creative endeavors are insane they're hyper risky they're resource intensive and frankly this stuff won't exist without somebody somewhere taking that risk. In the model we had for generations, that those people were either super rich folks or they were companies putting the money in in order to take us across the line. Once we got into the crowdfunding era, those 
roles were taken up by us, folks like you and me. I dropped, um, I think I dropped like five bucks, maybe 10. I dropped some amount into the kitty over there. Not a lot, but I wanted to make sure that I dropped something. It's like when I ask people to drop money into here, we are trying to buy time. We're trying to buy us over here at no pro time. We're trying to buy Jeff and Jarrett time, time where they don't have to go and take a freelance gig or they don't have to take like something else on top of everything else they're trying to do or time where they can hire folks to execute on part of the project that they've designed so that the work gets done and it gets done well. When we care about quality, we will buy folks time, even if we're not getting something back in exchange. The 25 bucks you put in without getting a ticket to the nest is 25 bucks that goes to the production, minus whatever Kickstarter's taking. <laughs> right? Somebody in the middle gets a cut. This is critical. This is critical. And I've always viewed crowdfunding as such an essential way for folks to then not be answerable to people looking to make a quick return on investment, but instead coming from folks who care about the quality of the work. You're putting in resources so that the work is better. So much of what we have been set up for in a consumer society is the idea that uh, we can get things of high quality for low prices. This is what consumer capitalism is designed to do. It's what Walmart is designed to do all the way up. Immersive is a luxury. Let's, 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 not, let's not beat around the bush. Immersive is a luxury. There are elements of it that are universal, and there's an ethos in it that much like organic food or <coughs> sustainable farming would be so beneficial if we could distribute it evenly and all around. But right now it's a luxury, and it will not cross over into being something that is more readily available if we don't put in the resources. So I'm encouraging two things in this scattered Noah rant. One, if you want to see good work, put money into immersive crowdfunding when it pops up. And for creators, do not be shy about crowdfunding your works, about putting those things out there. What I would recommend is that you do your research and that you don't necessarily put everything into the crowdfunding, particularly if you're going with a um, pass-fail type setup, right? Um, if it's, it's can, the way crowdfunding is these days, uh, if you do all or nothing campaigns, which is always what a Kickstarter is, Indiegogo does, does not all or nothing campaigns. On the one hand, I recommend all or nothing campaigns because uh, it's a sharper, it's a sharper go. 
But I recommend that what folks do is they don't necessarily put their whole budget in there, right? Don't, don't put everything that you need to make on that. Um, put a portion of it, you know, up to half and find other sources of revenue. And then of course, always have a stretch goal plan. Always know what's going to happen if you get more money than what you're asking for. Because guess what? That money can go to the production and it can let you extend runs. It can let you do deeper work, put more effort into what goes up on the stage. Because what we need more than ever right now is works of exceeding quality, right? That is the number one thing as a movement we require. And I'm not saying that because I'm not seeing work that is reaching for it or is, is getting there. I am. But what I'm not seeing is us breaking out of the shell in the way that we need to in order for this to keep going. I'm not worried yet, but I know that if a year from now, if I'm looking at the kind of numbers uh, year over year we've had in the past, I'm going to start getting worried um, because I don't, that means that we're not able to accelerate in the way that we're going to need to, to get to a place that's really sustainable over the long haul. There's a lot of work for us to do on our end, but also for the creators on your end and for fans, I would say take that passion you have and put it into the creators whose work you've loved. All right. Okay. That's enough of that for the day. Uh, this has been a long episode and that was a big old rant. Um, I got to get myself in a totally different mindset because the art of presence, uh, talk tomorrow and I got to go over things. Um, I'm making notes. There's like a whole universe of stuff happening, uh, that I can't even remember at the moment. Next week on the show, it looks like we've got uh, David Ruzicka and Eric Vosmeyer of I Want to Live in Your Mouth, uh, who are going to come on and talk about uh, the creepy little wonder they've got going on in North Hollywood. That's playing right now, so you should check it out. Um, there's some perception, I think, that it's an extreme haunt. It's not an extreme haunt. Uh, and if you know, uh, zombie Joe's underground reputation, like of like, Oh, like it's always gross out. It's seen. You know, there's not, there's not, it's not really, it's that it's something different. Like the idea that you're living through a child's, uh, dark, uh, nightmares. Uh, yeah, that's about the right calibration. It's childhood nightmares. There you go. Uh, it is horror genre, but, uh, it's maybe not exactly what you're thinking about. Okay. On that note, um, yeah, let's do the thing where we do the credits. So the music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Herstad, Mark Baltazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. You can find us at nopersinium.com, at nopersinium on Twitter and Facebook, at no underscore persinium on Instagram. Uh, and if you have show announcements, please Pitches at nopersinium.com is the way to reach out to us or check out, uh, look for our Airtable link, um, which frankly, uh, we should start splattering all over the newswire. So we'll, uh, we'll get on that. Uh, <laughs> I always just come up with like, oh, hey, there's, a, there's some efficient thing we should do uh, right in the middle of the show. All right. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>